many times there are so many boxes that are being ticked and you can check them when it comes to a hiring or, or interviewing someone. But then there's something internal that tells you, and that those are maybe the softer things, the things that are later going to be uh, discovered that are clashing with your with the culture fit, with the values, those kind of things that are sometimes very difficult to explain in words. Uh, that's what I call the gut feeling. And always listening to that very carefully is important. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaS.com. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this week's episode, I talk with SaaS.com East Coast speaker, Aaron Ben Shushan. He's the co-founder and CEO of Visivo, a holistic event management platform. Originally from Tel Aviv, Israel, Aaron moved to New York three and a half years ago as soon as the company found product market fit. Former Air Force officer and systems engineer, Aaron had his first experience with the magic and challenge of events over 12 years ago. His fascination with events was so intense that he decided to dip his toe into building a platform. Visibo was started seven years ago. Initially, it was improving networking at events and aiming to engineer serendipity for attendees. However, early on, Aaron and his two co-founders saw a far bigger opportunity to build a holistic platform for events that Visibo would become. Seven years later, Visibo boasts two offices, an employee count of 120, and has to date raised $57 million in VC funding. The growth has been tremendous, but what Aaron has made sure all along is that hiring the right people to support that growth has never been compromised. Listen on to here, the fundamentals of hiring well. We never compromise. If you are at a position where you feel in your gut and in the conversations that you have with the hiring manager or yourself internally, and you say, you know, I know it's not 100%, but I make the hire because we have to scale, not a good thing. They want never to compromise on the quality of the people, at least at, at that moment that when you're hiring them, you cannot tell yourself that you are compromised for anything regard, uh, regarding that hire. One foundational rule about recruitment Aaron learned the hard way. Once I made a mistake, where I didn't talk to a CEO of an executive I had to, uh, I made an offer to and hired eventually. And that's just because I wanted to be extremely respectful to that person that uh, I, I was making an offer to. That executive asked me not to discuss with the CEO. I later discovered around two months after that it was a mistake. And should I have done that call? I would know that it's probably not a fit for my style and for what we need. Should a CEO speed up the hiring process if they feel they might lose a great candidate? I'll say, you have my commitment that we're going to run as fast as possible, probably faster than you've ever seen. We are not going to skip or have shortcuts in our process because we believe that we owe you the right to ask us all the questions, to meet enough people from the team and understand that we are the best choice for you. And I think that if you are a believer in joining, uh, you know, rocket ship companies and you think about the long term and not just getting a job and a paycheck in a week from now, you should actually see that as an advantage and make sure that you're able to manage your other offers that you have on the table to earn us the, the few extra days that we need in order to know that we are the best fit for each other.
Erin Benshushan is part of an absolute stellar lineup of SAS.East Coast speakers in New York next week, on June the 5th and 4th as well, uh, which includes Raggy Thomas, CEO of Sprinkler, Patrick Campbell, CEO of ProfitWell, Megan Keeney Anderson, VP of Marketing at HubSpot, David Thompson, CMO at Freshworks, and Nathan Latka, uh, amongst others. If you're interested in learning about product-led strategies and product-led growth, landing and expanding strategies, walking the tightrope between growth and burn, how to scale your sales team, customer-driven growth frameworks, strategies on how to move your SaaS upmarket and how to convert users. We're going to give you the strategies and frameworks to do this. This is only if you're interested in uh, growing and scaling your SaaS. Uh, if you're not, don't bother. But if you are, then you've got to be there to get these strategies and frameworks. Uh, we've a special 50% discount off uh, for tickets for SaaS Revolution Show listeners. Just use code REVOLUTION50 at checkout. That's REVOLUTION50 at checkout. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Eren Ben uh, Shushan. Did I get that right? You yeah. did. Uh, CEO uh, and co-founder of uh, of Bizbo. Welcome, uh, Eren. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. No, great to have you uh, on the podcast today. I know this is uh, we're just uh, how many days? Probably eleven days away from SaaS East Coast, June the fourth and the fifth in uh, in New York, and uh, you'll be one of our great speakers. Um, uh, looking forward to that and. Uh, uh, meeting in, in person. Aaron, t- tell us a little bit about yourself um, uh, uh, for the listeners' uh, benefit. Yeah, I am uh, originally from Israel. I moved here to New York as part of Bizbo's growth after we found product market fit around three and a half years ago, four years ago, and re- then really you know, taking it to become a SaaS company and everything that is, uh, uh, you know, all the meanings involved with that and uh, scaling the go-to-market here from New York. Today, the company is split between New York City and Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv, we have our engineering team, uh, product and design. And uh, here we have all our go-to-market team. So marketing, sales, customer success and operations and client services. And getting back to myself, besides the fact I relocated from Tel Aviv to New York as part of that effort and moment in time, uh, I've been uh, an officer in the Air Force for several years. Then I was a system engineer in a big enterprise company for four years. Then I was uh, very um, privileged to have the opportunity to be an event planner myself. So I was a CEO of an event production company. Uh, we ran conferences as big as 3,000 attendees, and I felt the challenges, the pain, and also the magic of being an event planner firsthand. And that was even before we understood we're so passionate about solving many of the uh, broken elements of this industry while still being very loyal to the magic that we see in events. So bringing people together and all of that really spoke volume to myself and my two other co-founders, Boaz, who's based in the Tel Aviv office, and Alon, who's based here in New York. We got together in an entrepreneurship program decided we love working with each other, we can be a strong team together, and we're extremely passionate about making events significantly better through technology. And that's how we started Bizabo around seven years ago. Awesome. So uh, so Bizabo, uh, as you, you talked about, 
making events successful through technology. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about how Bizabo does that, what it, what it does. Yeah, we uh, actually started in the first year and a half too by doing one thing, which was a limited part of what we're doing today. It was the, we started with a mobile first approach and a networking platform. So we said we must help the right people get together and meet each other at events in a more efficient and scalable and scientific way than it's done today or back then around seven years ago where everything was basically serendipity. So we started by doing that. And then a year and a half in, we discovered that there is a much greater opportunity. And when we talk to our customers who are essentially marketers, typically it's marketers and corporations who are running events, we realized that they're missing a hub. They're missing a system of record to run all their event activity from one place that is interconnected with their marketing automation platforms, with their CRM platforms. And that platform in the middle for events needs to be extremely robust. So it needs to do everything you need for your events from building your website to registration, email marketing, mobile application, contact management, polling and surveys, analytics, agenda and speakers management. So you know that because you guys are running phenomenal events and you know how how complex events are. And in the modern era, we believe that you need to have a modern software um, you know, platform that is going to be your single source of truth for everything around events to automate them, make them personalized, and make them measurable. And by that, we also mean that it needs to be connected to your marketing and CRM stack. That's what Bizabo does in a nutshell. Can you can you give us um, some data like behind the company? So like how many people, um, you know, if you're VC backed, how much you've raised, uh, if you're happy to share any kind of re- revenue or, or sort of growth metrics, um, any data that you think could be interesting uh, to, to help the listeners uh, get a picture? Absolutely. So uh, we are, we raised to date $56 million. Um and the last round we closed was a month and a half ago, our D round for $27 million. Uh, so prior to that, our funding was more uh, several rounds, uh, initially by private investors, angel investors. Uh, and then we had our C round, which was at the end of 2017. It was $15 million and $27 million now. So in total... 56, definitely VC backed and going through this path of, you know, high growth uh, and building a category defining platform. So the play is definitely a big one. That's the uh, operational assumption that we're, we're operating under. And we believe strongly in the size of the opportunity. Other than that, in terms of numbers, so we are 120 people on board, 120 Bizaboards. Roughly 50 of them in Tel Aviv and the rest are here in New York. We're growing really rapidly. Revenue-wise, we're doubling year over year. Retention-wise, we have extremely healthy metrics and we see net negative churn. So our customers not only are staying with us, they're also expanding their activity with us, which I think as a SaaS company is probably one of the most important indications for product market fit and also healthy operations, good product, and good client, uh, client-centric or customer-centric approach. So those are the key metrics that I think uh, can give you a good sense for who we are as a company. 
Excellent. No, thanks for that. And uh, it certainly does uh, help us with the picture there. So we want to talk a little bit about hiring for growth uh, today, uh, which I think you, you'll touch on a little bit in your, your talk at SaaS.Eastcoast, East Coast, uh, but not only. Uh, and so you mentioned 120 um, you know, Biza Boys, did, did you say? Bizaboas, Bizaboas, I thought so. <laughs> I thought that would be more politically correct. Uh, but uh, no, uh, and um, yeah. so, uh, out of the hundred and twenty, <laughs> uh, out of the hundred and twenty that uh, uh, team members that that you have, um, how many have you hired? All of them? Have you been involved in the hiring decision for all of them? I've been in, involved in the. I maybe did not hire all of them, but mm-hmm. I involved in the hiring decision of all of them. Uh, and I think that hiring is so critical and imperative for the success of a company just because people is every, like a success of a fast growing startup is dependent only by the quality of the people that you're able to have on board and the level of commitment, alignment and engagement that everybody is, is behind the big vision that you're after. So hiring is, you know, the, the first step to have a, a killer team. And I'm extremely involved in those processes. I'm a first time entrepreneur. And, um, you know, our, our company has uh, only scaled to like 20, 24 people, right? And uh, what I know about hiring now is, is very different as we're in our fourth year to what I knew or didn't know, you know, in, in the first year, right? Hiring is a, is a skill and something that you can learn and you get better at, right? I think uh, as, as you grow. So I, I'm, you know, I can happily say I've made mistakes along the way and, but then, you know, sort of rectify those. Uh, um, what, what about yourself? Like if, if you look at your, your journey from the first year of Bizabo and, and who you've hired compared to, to, to now, like, how big is the difference or um, what, what can you share around that? Yeah, that's a great question. So first, um, I'll say that, uh, you know, you and I both probably have made uh, mistakes. So I, I made mistakes when it comes to hiring as well. Uh, and, you know, you, you constantly, as an entrepreneur, you constantly make mistakes. The only quality that you have as an entrepreneur that defers you and, 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 you know, defers the excellent ones or those that are successful than the others are probably two things. One is the ability to constantly learn and improve. And the other one is to never give up, right? I think those are the two most important skills. We're constantly learning. I can tell you when it comes to hiring, two things. One is there are actually some things that from day one are exactly the same in our hiring process. Uh, same principles than they are today. And I'll mention a few. And then, and then there are a few that we learned uh, along the way that over time became more fit for purpose in as part of the process that we built. So the things that are fundamental, at least for us at Visible, that never changed yet are the following. One is we never compromise. If you are at a position where you feel in your gut And in the conversations that you have with the hiring manager or yourself internally, and you say, you know, I know it's not 100%, but I make the hire because we have to scale, not a good thing. So we, we, that's from day one, never to compromise on the quality of the people, at least at them, at that moment that when you're hiring them, you cannot tell yourself that you are compromising for anything regarding, uh, regarding that hire. The second thing is to always listen to your gut. 
I, I, you know, I think many times there are so many boxes that are being ticked and you can check them when it comes to a hiring or, or interviewing someone. But then there is something internal that tells you, and that those are maybe the softer things, the things that are later going to be uh, discovered that are clashing with your, with the culture fit, with the values, those kind of things that are sometimes very difficult to explain in words. Uh, that's what I call the gut feeling. And always listening to that very carefully is important. Uh, we have, for example, one element that is since day one of starting the company and still today in every interview form, we call it internally the beer test, right? So from the first hire, we said, if, if that's someone that you can have dinner, grab a beer and enjoy a conversation with that person, yes or no. And everybody learned what it means over the years. And it's part of our hiring process. And the other thing is, and that is something that initially we didn't have as structured. Only three years ago, we defined our core values. We have eight of them. And they're also part of our hiring process. And every form that we fill, we grade on each and every one of those eight values. That helps us a lot. And the other thing that as part of the process, we always do reference checks. There's that much that you can learn about someone in an interview process, uh, and you need to come humble to it. You, you might think that you're a great people person that can read people, and you know exactly, and, and you're impressed, and you have a process in place, and they checked all the boxes, but there's that much you can learn. And if you really put the time to have quality reference checks and learn about the history that can predict about the future success of that person in your company, in your culture, and the role that you are hiring for, I think that's critical. On the reference checks um, front then, so like how many reference checks do you typically do? And do you do you get a reference check with the, the person's former boss? Do you do it with the, their colleagues? What type of people do you reference uh, check that person against? And does that really depend on the seniority of the person? So if a junior person like, do you just get something on email, but for somebody more senior, um, you know, you have to have a phone call, get them to call you or things like that. Can you give us a bit more insight into that? Absolutely. It does depend on the seniority. However, we would never have it done only by email. We will always, no matter what the seniority is, we'll, we'll jump on a call with someone and we'll talk to a human being and ask our questions the way we ask them and explain why it's important for us. And, and we do it sincerely, you know, selfishly, we care about the success of the company, but we also care about the people. If, if, we, if we make an offer to someone, we say, you know, we care about you. At that moment, we start caring about you. And if it's our responsibility to be transparent and make sure that they know who we are, but also to do the job from our side to make sure that we are convinced that they're going to be a good fit for the company. And we explain that when we jump on reference calls and that creates some sort of commitment or openness from the other side to be, uh, I hope, as genuine and honest as they can. So we would talk to a human being and try to understand and ask our questions. As people become more senior, we would do also reference checks from people that work for them and people that work together with them on the same as peers and their managers. Sometimes we'll also do some you know, back channel references, the industry at the end of the day is pretty small. And if we have access, not because we're trying to, uh, you know, 
be disrespectful or spy on people. It's just that if we have a strong connection to a company or a friend, and again, coming from the same good place that I mentioned before, we would do that. And I can tell you, for example, that once I made a mistake where I didn't talk to a CEO of an executive I had to, uh, I made an offer to and hired eventually. And that's just because I wanted to be extremely respectful to that person that uh, I, I was making an offer to. And uh, that executive asked me not to discuss with the CEO. And I later discovered around two months after that it was a mistake. And should I have done that call, I would know that it's probably not a fit for my style and for what we need. And I made a rule to myself and everybody else in the company and all the executives that you would also you would always talk to the individual you're hiring uh, used to report to. I think it's important. And if, and if you're not able to get that person, probably it means there is a problem. Uh, on the um, you, you mentioned the the, the beer test. Uh, it, it's probably sort of not uh, unique just just to us as well, but I, I, I look at it in a different way and say, um, well, you know, would I want to be stuck at, at the airport if the flight was delayed with this person, right, for a few hours? And I, I often think about that during the interview process, And uh, um, but very similar uh, uh, concept there. You're building out the team, right, one of the, one of the responsibilities. Um, so how much of your time are you actually spending on hiring? Uh, on hiring, I would assume roughly 15 to 20%, depending on the time of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, people in general, I would say, which is also the, the other element of the existing people, uh, another 30% of my time, probably 25 to 30%. So aggregated, let's say between uh, 35 to 50% of my time is people related, depending on the time so if I need to make some executive hires, you would see on my calendar sometimes 40% of the time dedicated just for hiring, right? When you hire a VP or um, – so th those are the variances of time roughly that I'm investing in hiring and people in general. Do you have uh, internal recruiters um, or is it you, – you, you do? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Both in Tel Aviv and here in New York, absolutely. At, at what stage did you move to have uh, an internal recruiter? Is, is there a, a, a benchmark when you're at a certain size or, you you know, you've raised a certain round uh, that, that you bring this in-house? In yeah, that's a great question. We always had someone clearly owning it. It was just, uh, you know, initially the person who was VP of HR did that on top of doing the other things. And then when we grew... We had uh, one person here in the New York office who did other things and also owned recruiting. But when is the right time to bring a full-time recruiter in-house is probably a combination of the size that you're at because you would have a certain level of uh, natural and sometimes healthy uh, turnover uh, and also the, the pace that you want to scale and grow. So I think... I'll say the following as a rule of thumb that I have in my mind and also a statement about SaaS companies. Rule of thumb is that probably when you are above 20 to 25 people and you want to grow, say, more than two people a month on average, you need an in-house full-time recruiter. 
that was roughly the stage that we uh, we hired that person in Tel Aviv and also here in New York. And about SaaS, the general statement is that I think that it's such an ever-evolving industry. And if you are a fast-growing company, you need to always be in a hiring mode. And for that, it, it justifies the uh, uh, having a recruiter on, on board full-time. Would you would you still or do you still use external recruiters for special cases? We do. Yep. And, and what would that be for like more senior execs or headhunting? Or what's the circumstance where you've got in-house recruiter versus using external? On teams that we want to scale very fast, we would uh, support the in-house recruiter with external either agencies or sometimes we also had models of shops that were working with us on a per hour basis. So sometimes they also become part of the team. So think about outsourcing, but kind of hybrid in-house outsource model. Uh, And we had times where we wanted to grow really fast and we did that. To some extent, it was successful. I can say that so far, probably 50-50 on the success rate for us uh, using that model. For senior executives, in the past, I would say 12 to 18 months, I became a bigger believer in using uh, headhunters and sometimes also uh, paying a lot of a lot of money for it, maybe more than I used to be willing to pay in the past. But it, it proved to be the right thing to do. And especially as a CEO, if you want to be more strategic, you need to get help that probably sometimes it would be challenging to get also that from the in-house recruiter who's typically focused on more non-executives position, I would say. So I, I started believing more and more in that model for specific executive hires. What about your thoughts? I've seen um, some sort of well-known SaaS CEOs uh, that have like offered uh, rewards to their their teams of like you know twenty thousand dollars, twenty five thousand uh, dollars, you know, for a, a successful hire. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts around that? What do you, what do you do? Uh, what is your position? I'm not a fan. The reason is. Listen, financially, you can justify that because sometimes you would go and pay an agency either that amount or sometimes for a headhunter twice, uh, you know, triple, sometimes quadruple of the amount you just mentioned that we know the numbers in the industry. So financially, you can justify that. But from a value perspective or values of the company, if you are part of the team and you want to be successful and you believe the company wants to be successful, I think that sends the wrong message. I think that, you know, we, we do incentivize our employees and we have sometimes contests and sometimes prizes and sometimes, uh, you know, bonuses for referring employees. Uh, we believe in that because we believe our people actually know better than anyone else. What is a fit for what we need? If we are, able to explain properly in a crisp and clear way, what are we hiring for? So our people are our best recruiters. So I believe that we need to incentivize them because they're focused on achieving their KPIs and goals. And and we want them to be focused there. So we want to grab a little bit of their attention and make it also uh, cool and interesting and engaging for them to refer people. But I think there is, you know, if it's too much, it just, uh, sends the wrong message in my view. 
In, in terms of your hiring process, are you, are you a fan of hiring fast or hiring slowly, or is there a case for both? Between the two, I would prefer hiring slow. If you tell me you have to choose one, be decisive, I'll choose hire slow. Mm-hmm. The cost of mistake of hiring fast and not accurate is much, much higher than hiring slow. Mm-hmm. I would tell you that there is a place in the middle. You have to have that level of urgency and it's never, it's never going to be an excuse to not scale fast enough when you need to because you're hiring slow and you're taking your time to uh, make sure that uh, we covered everything under the sun and we made sure that it's 100%. There's always an element of uncertainty. That's fine. And you need to balance the high quality, slow hiring but with high urgency as well. So um, it's something in the middle, but if I need to choose, I'll go for slow. If, if you have a candidate, a strong candidate, that says I've got three offers on the table, like, you know, after the first or kind of second meeting, at that point, you know, do you uh, consider, based on the strength of the candidate, that you look to accelerate the process? Uh, or do you say, well, actually, no, you know, they're going to say this and we're, we're, we're going to just do it our, our way, right, or find the middle ground? Uh, that's a great question. If I, if I am the interviewer and I mm-hmm. like them, and that applies to everyone else who's interviewing at Bizabo, I would do the following. I would try to sell them very hard on that meeting because I need to earn time now, right? I don't want to lose that candidate. But I would be clear and I would set up expectations and I'll say, you have my commitment that we're going to run as fast as possible, probably faster than you've ever seen. We are not going to skip or have shortcuts in our process because we believe that we owe you the right to ask us all the questions, to meet enough people from the team and understand that we are the best choice for you and I think that if you are a believer in joining, uh, you know, rocket ship companies and you think about the long term and not just getting a job and a paycheck in a week from now, you should actually see that as an advantage and make sure that you're able to manage your other offers that you have on the table to earn us the, the few extra days that we need in order to know that we are the best fit for each other. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell hard, I'm going to run fast, but I'm going to be fair and clear and avoid uh, massive uh, shortcuts. It's, uh, it, it's a good answer, and I'm, uh, I'm taking notes uh, uh, from this uh, and learning uh, uh, as well. Uh, at SAS.East Coast, you'll be talking uh, about walking the tightrope between growth and burn. Hiring is one part of that. What, what else are we going to hear from you within this talk? Yeah, definitely hiring is a big one. You know, at the end of the day, when you look at P&Ls of SaaS companies, between 70 to 80% of the cost structure is is the people, right? Is salaries and uh, costs associated with salaries. So it's a meaningful one that affects burn dramatically. And there is a way to structure the team properly. It's not just about the right talent. It's also about the right structure. It's a combination of both, right? You can build a non-efficient organization in, in two main aspects. One, you have too many layers or uh, teams that are too distributed and too many people overlapping and doing the same thing. And the other aspect is the level of talent that we have. And it's no secret that you can have one person that equals two people or three people in terms of their productivity, in terms of their ability to push forward. So that's 
indeed a big one. The other things that I'm going to talk about are product market fit and how does that relate to um, that fine line between burn and growth. And when do you make decisions to, you know, go full throttle and accelerate the burn? There is such a thing too early uh, that I personally sometimes experienced in our growth and I'm constantly thinking about. There is something that is too late, clearly. There is a thing about when you are making this decision, reverting back, especially in SaaS, and when you are VC-backed and you need to come back from one round to another with you know, a certain story that is going to enable you to inject more capital to the company, if you choose to do that, that reverting back from that initial decision to go full throttle and accelerate is very, very difficult. It can be painful, sometimes impossible, mostly psychologically, because when you are positioned as a fast-growing company, suddenly you slow down. What does that mean? What people from the inside or outside think about that, right? You know, so many times people make decisions based on, you know, quick things and indications that they see from the outside uh, and how your graphs on LinkedIn look for growth of the team and so forth. You, you know, people are assum- making quick assumptions and you need to think about it and have that in mind. So that point is related to product market fit. When is real product market fit and how should you accelerate growth based on that? Um, And the other element is, as a CEO, as executives, how uh, diligent are we in in terms of financials? How much of a CFO am I when I am a CEO versus a product visionary person or a people-oriented leader that is uh, leading people and you're asking them to follow versus also being that CFO who's looking at the numbers and, and looking to them at the eyes and having, you know, reality sense checks that are very uh, strict or disciplined to financial guidelines when building a fast-growing company. Those are the three aspects I'm going to talk about. I'm very much looking forward to uh, seeing that keynote uh, at SAS.East Coast. Um, so we come to the end of the show. We always like to ask our guests how they stay healthy and sane on their SAS journey. Uh, what is your way? You know, I'll say the following. I love what I do, uh, and I love what we do as a company, as, as our mission. I am a big believer in people. I believe that the power of in-person is important, uh, is, is magical and important to the world. We're, we live in such a digital world, where it, whether it's social media and online and all the noise that we have. But at the end of the day, we are human beings, and as such, we are social creatures, So we believe in what we're doing, and I really enjoy working with the team, with our investors, with our customers. So that's the the first thing that keeps me sane and healthy is enjoying what I do and surrounding myself with, you know, the purpose of what we're doing, the reason of what we're doing, that we need to make sure that we're always filled by that, and that makes us passionate and joyful. And the other one is the people around me. I surround myself, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a cheap trick that I just surround myself uh, with smart, typically smarter than me, people uh, around me that love what we're doing, that are committed to the business, 
uh, and it just makes the whole, you know, everything is different because in the highs, that's easy, but in the lows, and there are, uh, there are definitely more lows than highs in any business you build. If you have the right people around you, that changes everything. 100%. Uh, a great way to end the show. Uh, Aaron Ben Shushan, thanks very much uh, for being a guest on the SaaS Revolution show. Looking forward to seeing you uh, in New York, uh, specifically on, on, on June the 5th at the Altman Buildings for SaaS.East Coast. Thanks very, very much for being a guest on the, the SaaS Revolution show. Me too. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Alex. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show and you've picked up valuable lessons from Aaron. As a reminder, you can see him and over 30 other speakers on June the 4th for our in-depth workshops and June the 5th in New York for SaaS.East Coast. Uh, available for the special listener promotion and get 50% off tickets now. Use code REVOLUTION50. Thanks for listening. See you next time.